This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. Deckers again, throwing downfield. He's got Stanley. Stanley inside the five. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation. We are live in Studio B with your day-to-day BYU Sports play-by-play alongside Jerem Jordan. I'm Spencer Linton. We continue now our Big 12 opponent previews, if you will, with the voice of the Iowa State Cyclones. He's John Walters, just completed, he told us during the break, 20 years. Congratulations on that, John, and thanks for joining BYU Sports Nation. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, the Cyclones are a program with a ton of pride, have had great success. We know all about Brees Hall. We followed him closely because he's playing with former BYU quarterback Zach Wilson in the New York Jets, and we're looking forward to him being healthy and doing his thing. So there's a connection there. But outside of that, what does Iowa State or your general Iowa State fan think about BYU besides the Zach Wilson-Brees Hall connection? I don't know if they've thought much about it. They need to. They need to start thinking about it because I think it's going to be one of the really great environments in the new Big 12 Conference. I'm sure they have given that some thought. And, you know, when the schedule came out and you saw of the four new teams coming into the league, which two were Iowa State going to play or three or whatever the number might be, it ended up that they were on the road for the two games they're going to play. So they're playing at BYU and at Cincinnati. And I think those are two of the tougher tests among the four teams entering the league. Certainly, I think BYU is going to be a tremendous environment. It'll be the biggest stadium in the new Big 12 once Texas and Oklahoma leave. Iowa State will actually be the second biggest stadium. Yeah. So uh, I, I anticipate a full house when uh, the when Iowa State plays there and the other teams in the new Big 12 play there. And uh, certainly they can expect that when they come to Ames. And, and I think it's going to be a, a really fun uh, rivalry to get started. I'm excited about it. November 11th. It's going to be great. Uh, certainly last year was a tough season for Iowa State, 4-8. and eight. What are the expectations generally this season for the Cyclones? Yeah, I think the, the thought is that hopefully that was kind of the one-off season. I mean, if you look at Matt Campbell's first year when he came in, uh, it took a little, little while to get the program off the ground, although he did get Iowa State competitive in that first year. They went 3-9, and nine, but they were in all those games except for maybe one or two. And after that, they really did very well over the next five years and then had the season where they kind of fell back a little bit last season. They went 0-6 in Big 12 conference games decided by a score or less a year ago. And they're going to be in a lot of those games every year. That's just the reality of Iowa State football, and it's a good thing because uh, before Matt Campbell arrived, there were games where you weren't convinced that Iowa State could be competitive against anybody. But now with him here, you certainly feel like Iowa State, if they play well, has a chance against anybody in the league, no matter where the game is, no matter how good that other team is. And that's been proven over time as Iowa State's won in every Big 12 stadium under Matt Campbell. Mm. But um, it, it, it's last year they didn't win those close games. And they're going to be in them again. I, I think the reality is that pretty much every year you're going to play six to nine games decided by a, a touchdown or less. And how are you going to do in those, let's say, seven is the number? Are you going to go five and two? Or are you going to go two and five? That's what's going to determine what kind of a season you have. And that's really true uh, across, I think, what this new Big 12 is going to be. I think it's going to be very competitive top to bottom. Uh, it was like that in basketball a year ago where absolutely anybody could beat anybody. And I think it's going to be very competitive in that way in football, too. So 
I think the the overall feeling among Cyclone fans is that hopefully last year was the aberration, you know, not the norm. And we'll see if Iowa State can get back to to being an above 500 team and going to bowl games uh, again this season. Matt Campbell, certainly with that competitive nature, he's got this gravity about him. You hear his players talk about him. There's like, you know, you, you just you feel the vibe and his desire to win. Um, who did he add this offseason that you feel like, okay, this is a guy that all Big 12 fans should know about. Maybe he's off the radar now, but who did Matt Campbell add to the roster this season that uh, BYU fans and all other Big 12 opponents need to know about? Well, they added a very good recruiting class. Uh, of, and He doesn't go into the transfer portal very much, but uh, the, the recruiting class of high school players coming in is excellent. Um, some of those guys might have an immediate impact. Jack Sadowski at linebacker, I think, could be a guy that can compete for the starting Mike linebacker position. Um, but overall, when you talk about guys that can make that immediate impact where fans across the league would recognize that, I think you do have to look at more of the older guys coming into the program. And certainly, I think Jaden Higgins at wide receiver is a guy that uh, can make that immediate impact. You've got to replace Xavier Hutchinson who the last three years in college football, no wide receiver in the nation had more receptions than Xavier Hutchinson. Wow. And now he's with the Houston Texans. And uh, so that's a big hole, a big, you know, big shoes to fill. But I think Jaden Higgins coming in from Eastern Kentucky, where he had 10, 10 touchdown receptions a year ago, has really good size, a good catch radius. I think he's a guy that can come in and have that immediate impact at the receiver position. I think the other thing is you just look for guys that are already within the program to emerge because Iowa State really is a player development type program. And so you hope that guys make those gains year to year. And uh, certainly there's some candidates to do that within the roster. And I think that has to happen for Iowa State to get back to the kind of success that they had been getting a little bit more accustomed to under Matt Campbell. Nate Chielhouse is the new OC, upgraded from running back and wide receiver, uh, former what uh, Wisconsin running back, tried to high-five a ref after a touchdown, I think I remember, uh, which is fun. Illinois quarterback. Illinois quarterback. Illinois, quarterback. Illinois <laughs> thank you, thank you. How, yes. uh, uh, how many refs is he going to try and high-five this year, and how do you think the offense <laughs> is going to change? I can't answer question one, and I, I, I can't answer question two either, uh, although I will say that my opinion is that you're not going to see – a drastic change in the style of offense that Iowa State plays because Matt Campbell uh, has a formula for winning at Iowa State that relies heavily on your defense, ball possession, ball control offense, trying to have sustained drives that move down the field over, you know, eight to ten plays where you're chewing up some time off the clock. And uh, uh, they're not a quick strike offense like some around the Big 12 are. They're capable of it, as you see on that play right there. But they, they are more likely to beat you with a 10-play, 75-yard drive. Uh, and I think that benefits them the most because then they allow that defense to stay fresh and go do its thing. And last year, Iowa State's defense led the Big 12 in every category. And you're like, well, how, how in the world do you go 1-8 and eight mm. with the best defense of the Big 12? But the offense did take a step back last year. It struggled. Um, I think Tom Manning, the outgoing offensive coordinator, had some very good years. They had some of the best offenses in Iowa State history under his direction. He's back with the Indianapolis Colts. But I think Nate Shieldhouse is one of the young, really bright minds in college football. And I think he was ready for and due for that kind of a promotion. And so I think more than anything, it'll just bring a fresh voice into that offensive meeting room and a, a, a fresh outlook. And Nate's a very positive, uh, outgoing guy who connects well with the players. He's got great relationships with the players. 
I think a, a big part of what his success will be, well, how will the other new coaches that have joined the staff on the offensive side of the ball make an impact? And Ryan Clanton comes in as the new offensive line coach. He was at Northern Iowa and did a great job there, put some guys in the NFL. And I, I, I think if Iowa State could get 5 to 10% better on the offensive line, then you could see the reestablishment of that running game, which took a really big step back last year in large part because of injuries. But, uh, you know, for years, it was hey, David Montgomery, Kane Nwangu, uh, Brees Hall. I mean, yeah. Iowa State's produced some really good running backs under Matt Campbell. And so, you know, can they get back to that level? I, I think it's possible, but so much of it depends on how good they are up front. And I think that's where if Iowa State can make, you know, a, a 5 10% gain, then all of a sudden everything on the offense looks better. And Iowa State doesn't have to get, you know, light years better offensively. They just have to score three or four more points a game. And if they can do that, their defense is certainly good enough, at least on paper again going into this season, that they should be very competitive. John Walters is the voice of Iowa State football. He is with us on BYU Sports Nation. Everybody we talk to through the Big 12, and again, we're coming from a standpoint of being one of the four new guys in town, tells us that this year the conference just seems kind of wide open. It's anybody's league. Well, John, you've been around the conference for a long time. Who's the favorite, in your opinion, to win the Big 12? Is, or is it truly wide open? I think it's closer to wide open than being able to sit here and say who the true favorite is. Now, most people will say Texas because they do have a lot of talent coming back, and I understand that. But pretty much every year, Texas has been picked to top the Big 12 conference or Oklahoma and Texas really hasn't held up its end of the bargain too often. They, they've been good occasionally, but they haven't been sustained great over the last 10 years. And, you know, with all the resources they have and the talent they have, uh, the amount of, I mean, they print money there. I mean, you would think that they could uh, get to the top of the league and stay there, but they haven't been able to do that. And so um, I, I'm not ready to crown them just yet. I think they have a chance to be very good because they have a ton of talent. Uh, Oklahoma is always um, a factor, but, but they struggled last year. They took a step back last year, as did Iowa State. So, you know, Ken Baylor, which took a step back last year, get back on track under Dave Aranda. There's, there's so many unanswered questions. And <laughs> Oklahoma State's a program that really gets overlooked year to year, but is always up there in the Big 12 race. Now, they took a huge hit in the transfer portal, so I'm not sure that they'll be able to get back to the top of the conference. But, you know, you look at the last few years, and, and everybody always talks about Texas and Oklahoma when they talk about the Big 12, and I get it, okay? I understand. They have the resources. They have the biggest stadiums. They have the best recruiting classes. They should be at the top of the conference. But if you look at the last two Big 12 championship games, you know, you had Kansas State and TCU last year, and you had Oklahoma State and Baylor the year before. Right. The year before that, it was Iowa State and Oklahoma. So, you know, it, it is a wide-open league, and I think it will continue to be that. I think that's one of the things that makes it fun. This is one of those conferences, guys, that I think when fans that aren't necessarily Big 12 conference fans are just flipping through the dial on a Saturday afternoon and they come across one of these competitive Big 12 games, it, it'll draw them in. They'll stay with it. And, you know, I, I think when the, the conference shakeup was announced that Texas and Oklahoma were leaving that first stage, everybody just thought the other eight are just dead in the water. There's nothing to these eight programs. But I just mentioned four programs that played in the last two Big 12 championship <laughs> games, right? And you know, and, and those games were well-watched nationally. Uh, the ratings were great. And, you know, it's an exciting brand of football. It has been for years. And I think you guys are going to love 
being a part of the Big 12 Conference. Cannot wait, to say the least. And looking forward to having you and Iowa State in Provo at Lavelle Edwards Stadium on November 11th. We appreciate the time on a Monday, John. Keep up the good work. And uh, again, thanks for the insight. Anytime. Thanks for having me, guys. John Walters, the Iowa State play-by-play -play specialist. And uh, brings up a great point. No Texas or Oklahoma in the last two Big 12 championship yeah, games. six different teams in the last three Big 12 title games. Yeah, just get you a Max Duggan, and you can go to the national title. <laughs> no, but think, think about it. So, the, good insight there. They go 0-6 in games, uh, league games decided by one score. They're the, Iowa State's this close to being in. Yeah, he said they score three or four more points, totally different season last That's year. a big metric that I always walk into a season and look at is, how, do you, how are you going to fare in one-score games? Because the seasons where BYU does really well, they win the close games. It seems super obvious, but at the end of the season, you got to look back and go, oh, play here or two. Or, like, the play that you got uh, was maybe lucky or beneficial in that moment, too. So, Iowa okay, State feels like a one-game score in Pro. Or one-score game, I should could, say. One-score game. Well, it might be that, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> might be 6-3 in the snow. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> well, that'd be two scores, I guess. Join us as we look back on BYU's magical run in men's hoops to the 1981 Elite Eight. We'll chat about it with Fred Roberts. That's coming up in the 81 Reviewables Friday at noon Eastern on BYU TV and BYU Radio. Stay with us. Next, we continue our BYU football best wins bracket with a few wins against some of college football's most storied brands. They go head-to-head. -head. And who did advance in the bracket? This is BYU Sports Nation. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. BYU Sports Nation on the social media for content throughout the day on the Facebook, the Twitter, the Instagram, the YouTube, and the TikTok. Welcome back to Studio B. I am Spencer Linton. He is Jerem Jordan. Let's roll out today's headlines. Kenneth Rooks wins the national championship in the steeplechase yeah, with Kenneth. a dominating performance. Pulled away on the final lap, just running past everybody. 8-26-17 to become the fourth Cougar ever to win the steeplechase at Outdoor Nationals. And after Courtney Wayman won it last year, BYU is the first school in D1 history to win the women's and the men's steeplechase in back-to-back -back season. Amazing. The men finished 10th overall, thanks to Casey Klinger, in the uh, 5K, taking 11th, 10K rather. Dallin Schertz taking 7th in the discus. Ben Barton taking 8th in the decathlon, among others. Congratulations. The karma hierarchy knew that you were in the air headed to Austin. Like, Dallin, I'm coming, baby! They awarded it. Yeah, Kenneth was on the, the show recently. Rooks. Nice yes. job, guys. BYU Sports Nation karma. Women's track and field honoring four first-team All-Americans after their performances at Nationals. Claire Seymour and Megan Hunter finished third and eighth in the 800 meters, respectively. Speaking of karma. Lexi Halliday-Lowry finished fourth in the 3,000-meter steeplechase. Sierra Tidwell-Alfin finished seventh in the high jump. Congratulations to all those outstanding women. Women's volleyball non-conference schedules out. BYU opens the season in Montana, taking on Pitt for the fourth time in three seasons, this time in Missoula. What's up, Montana? Other highlights also include LMU. BYU left the league but still wants to play LMU at home at Washington State. And Utah is coming to Provo. The full schedule is on BYUCougars.com and right in front of you on the screen. How about some NCAA men's basketball rule changes? Stay with me on this, beginning with the charge block rule. Okay, here we go. <laughs> the defender will need to be in position to draw a charge at the time the offensive player plants a foot to go airborne to attempt a field goal. That's earlier, yep. Okay. 
If the defender arrives after the offensive player has planted a foot to launch towards the basket, the officials will call a block when contact occurs between the two players. Also, the shot clock will reset to 20 seconds after an offensive rebound, after the shot hits the rim. Players can wear any number between 0 and 99 that, now. That's a big one, dude. <laughs> that's new. Can't wait for someone to roll out with 92. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and... What are you, an offensive lineman? Non-student bench personnel, Jerem, can act as peacekeepers. This is you as the sideline reporter. If an altercation... Hey, 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 hey. Yeah. You see me getting in there between Ali Khalifa and some <laughs> other big opponent. Like, hey, come on, guys. Come on. It's all good. It's like, why is the sideline reporter Easy out there? on the microphone. Kooks in the... Don't get into that. In the USFL. <laughs> Diane Lake of the Houston Gamblers had an interception. Troy Warner and Corbin Kafusi of the Memphis Showboats lost to the New Orleans Breakers. Samson Nakua and Bo Tanner still going of the Pittsburgh Maulers beat the Michigan Panthers. And Kai Nakua had six tackles, three tackles for loss and a sack. Ooh for the Panthers. Nice. Austin Deming named the District 8 Player of the Year according to National Collegial, uh, Colle sorry, National College Baseball Writers of America. Outstanding, nice work, Austin. Another baseball notes, Michael Rucker was recalled to the Chicago Cubs. He pitched two and a third scoreless innings and two outings combined over the weekend. Daniel Schneeman continues to have just a remarkable year in AAA. Five for 12 over the weekend with a home run, a double, two runs batted in. He's now hitting 302 with five homers on the season, 25 runs driven in overall in his campaign. And Jackson Clough joined the home run fund as well. He hit a dinger in AA ball over the weekend. Trent Mosier had a monster tournament for the United States U21 men's volleyball team in the Norseka Pan Am Cup in Havana, Cuba. The Americans lost the gold medal match to Cuba 15-11 in five. Cuba the only team to beat the U.S. They did it twice. Mosier led the team with 18 kills. Ashley Hatch in the National Women's Soccer League, BYU legend, played 78 minutes, scored a goal, had four shots on goal total in the Washington Spirits 2-1 win over the weekend. We think she's got a great shot to make the World Cup roster. I'm hearing the team could be told this week if they made it or not. And then we'll announce it a couple days later. So we'll see. She's tied for the Golden Boot lead in the NWSL. She's got six One goals or two on years the ago. Season. Yeah. Let's go, baby. Those are today's headlines. Now let's get to the best of BYU football wins bracket. Again, we need your help to determine the greatest win in BYU football history. Miami! We have seeded the top 16 wins. Some have already been eliminated. Each day we'll present the matchup today and the results from the previous matchup as well as we move along in the BYU football best wins bracket. Okay, the matchup we had Thursday was four seed 06 Utah. Back to Harleen against 13 seed 1984 Pitt. Moving on to the second round with 71% of the vote is... Back to Harlan. Back to Harlan. Oh, there you go. Utah. I love it. There okay. it is. Okay. That'll be a fun matchup in the uh, second round there. All right. Well done. Now for the matchup today against some big time college football brands. And what a performance by Robbie Bobson. There's Jamal Willis. Brigham Young University. 1984 Michigan as the two seed against 1994 Notre Dame as the 15th seed. 84 Michigan, BYU's number one in the country, 12-0. Tried to lose the game by turning the ball over six times. What? Trailed 17-10 in the fourth quarter. Robbie Bosco hurts his knee, but he finds Glenn Kozlowski, a remarkable catch to tie the game. Later in the fourth, Bosco finds Kelly Smith in the end zone. 
take the lead with just over a minute left. Marv Allen seals the win with an interception. This is the catch by Kozlowski, amazing. Fury wins 24-17, 13-0. They didn't know they won the national title right away. They had to wait until some other games were played, and then it was announced that they had won the game. Un unbelievable run. Sorry, that they had won the national sure, title. They sure. knew they had won the game. Incredible. A natty. You well, won the national title. The lone undefeated team in the country in 1984, and that was the clincher, if you That's will. Good enough. In 1994, 10 years later, BYU on the road in historic South Bend, Indiana against Lou Holtz, Rick Meyer, Lou Holtz. and the Fighting Irish. BYU had lost previously, convincingly in 92 and 93 to Notre Dame. Now the Irish were number 17 going into this contest, but BYU and Jamal Willis doing the work late. Go ahead and game-winning touchdown after a Chad Lewis blocked field goal, no less, late in the look, fourth quarter. Look who's blocking on this play. A freshman, Kalani Satake. I love it. Mm. I love it. BYU wins 21-14. The lone win for the Cougars <laughs> as Lavelle gets the... He got crushed on that. <laughs> Is that a Powerade bath? I, I, or was it? A, I, it was something else. Who was the, the contract uh, with at the time? <laughs> oh my gosh! Take it easy. All right, vote in the poll. 94 Notre Dame against 84 Michigan. You got to go Michigan here, right? It's got to go Michigan. It's them for a natty. That should be in the championship I, game. Listen, I was surprised that uh, Beck to Harleen only had 71% of the I vote. I thought it have a little Like Pittsburgh had 29% of the vote. Pitt, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. the Keaton Slovis Pitt angle there. In a 413 matchup. Okay, <laughs> up next, we welcome on fellow BYU radio host Julie Rose to discuss why your life will be better and is better if you are a sports fan. Mm -hmm. Fantastic psychology on the way. This is BYU Sports Day. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Images from a national championship run and moment in Austin, Texas. Kenneth Rooks celebrating with his team. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation. We are live in Studio B. And uh, what's better than seeing the pictures from the event? How about just hosting said national champion in Studio B right now. Kenneth Rooks is with us as head coach. Ed yeah. Eichel, also a multiple multiple time national champion. Congratulations. Can I hold it? On everything. Can I hold it? The trophy. <laughs> that right. yeah, yeah, hold it. Oh, that's it. nice. That's Don't good. break it. Yeah, let's yeah. leave it there. Let's leave <laughs> it there. Kenneth, this is a relatively quick trip back here to Studio B. We didn't. We were talking to you not that long ago, and, and now you're back as a national champion. Uh, how are things right now? How, how are you processing all of this? Um, I mean, I'm super excited. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm super stoked I was, I was able to uh, be able to get, to get the win. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm still taking it in, still processing, uh, but it's, it's pretty exciting. And it's awesome because uh, Coach Eystone has also been able to um, have that opportunity. And it's kind of cool just being there in Austin, where he also was able to win. Yeah. Kenneth is obviously a, a low-key guy, Coach. Yeah. We know yeah. This. He just goes about his business. Wins the yeah. national championship. Not like, a big oh, deal. Whatever. He had to be it's back on class good. on Monday for his yeah. engineering class. We, we wanted to have you on the show. He's like, yeah. I got class. Man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Other things to do. Yeah. What was it like for you emotionally watching him compete in the steeplechase and then when you're seeing him come down the home stretch and you're like, he's going to be the national champion. What's that like for you? Well, it's nerve-wracking for the coach, especially when the coach realizes that he has the opportunity and really he should win the 
the race. Uh, Duncan Hamilton uh, had finished second uh, last year at NCAAs and had actually bested his uh, Amer American collegiate record uh, a few weeks back at the regional meet. And so uh, we knew it was going to be a battle of the, of the two superstars up front. And uh, Duncan started pushing the pace with about four laps to go, which is what we kind of had guessed would happen. Uh, Kenneth was able to cover each move, though, so that calmed me a little bit. But then at the, at the end, you never really know. And, and Kenneth made a move with about 600 meters to go. And I went, ooh, this is a little bit early because uh, when, the, when, the hunted, when, the hunter, when the hunter turns into the hunted and, and Duncan Hamilton actually responded really quite yeah. well, then I was a little bit nervous. But I, I had confidence in his ability to finish strong. He's finished strong in every race. He hasn't been in any collegiate race. There hasn't been anyone within six to nine seconds of him in all of his victories. So I felt like he knew what he was doing. He can kind of give us a, probably his insight from his his status. It line. was six seconds. Uh, yeah. exactly. So yeah, six seconds. were you more confident than Ed when you pulled away? <laughs> um, well, I, I probably was a little more confident than, than Ed when I made that move. But I also recognized when I made that move into the lead that uh, I had to maintain that lead all the way to the end. And so I... I was really trying to be aware of my surroundings, aware of where Duncan was at. So I was kind of checking behind my shoulder a lot, uh, or just seeing the shadows on the side, seeing where he was at. Um, but uh, when we, with 200 to go, and I realized I started to pull away a little bit, that's when I knew I was I was safe as long as I stayed on my feet. Yeah. So, which can be nerve-wracking. Yeah, which can be a little nerve-wracking. Yeah, because right? yeah, you just got to get over the last barrier, last, last, last water jump, and then we're good. So, was that the moment where you're like, I just won, I got it? Yeah, when I got over the last barrier, that's that's when that's the moment. Where I was like, okay, I just won. So. <laughs> what do you have yeah. left in the tank at that point? What do I have left? In you, the tank? Do you have a second win when you're like, I'm gonna win? Like, uh, <laughs> does it energize you, or are you just are you hanging on? I, I think it energizes. Uh, I think it energizes uh, me because I mean, you get excited that you're gonna win, and uh, so yeah, you just have that little bur burst of uh, positive energy at the end. Although it, you're hurting at the end, I was I was hurting <laughs> at the end. But. You don't look like you're hurting though. Like you're a smooth customer, like you were saying that. Like yeah. you. It, uh, when you cross the finish line, um, when does it kind of set in what you did? And hey, you won, and you won convincingly. And I, I love, uh, you know, John Anderson's right there. I was there Friday night. I, I'm actually watching this, by the way, on a plane about to land in Austin. And then I hurry over to the track and watch Casey's um, race, as I mentioned, but uh, couldn't find you guys after. Otherwise, I would have parted. But um, what, what's it like in that moment to do an interview where you're huffing and puffing after that? Because it's always funny. It's like, hey, you just ran. What's up? And you're like, <sighs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I was huffing and puffing just a little bit, but I actually was able to get a little bit of a break because I, I was able to go uh, give Coach a hug and give my parents a hug and stuff like that. So actually, no, my parents weren't there until after a little bit later, but my teammates a hug, my, my coach and my teammates. So I I was still kind of huffing and puffing, but I actually had a little little bit of time to catch my bit. breath a little bit. Um, he, he recovered quickly. He, yeah. He's in great shape right now, and, uh, and it truly was inspiring the way that he was able to pull that off because when, once he took that, you know, when you take a lead that far out, you need to take it with authority. You need to try to discourage the guy that's running behind you. Yeah. And even though, it, you know, Duncan mustered some, some energy to stay with him for another 300 meters or so, yeah. uh, 
um, Kenneth is such a good hurdler that at each hurdle over that last little bit, he was picking up a half a stride, and then Duncan would have to put his head back down, and then another hurdle, and then he would uh, expand that lead. And uh, the last water jump, uh, Kenneth was really flawless. Mm. Uh, Hamilton stumbled a little bit. And then uh, I think what he needs to work on a little bit is uh, uh, just thinking about, am I going to put my hands up with authority as I cross the line? Yeah, I'm number one sort of thing. <laughs> Kenneth is too humble to do that. So I think he put his hands up at the end, but it was kind of like, I'm really too humble to this, but I think uh, you're supposed to It was do like this. halfway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I have said, yeah. yay. But, and, you, and you had so many national championships, you got to think about what you were doing on the next yeah. one. Yeah. I actually did rehearse a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> did you pull off the triple crown? What is it, yeah. fall 84 and then into 85? Was that it? Yeah, the track cross, 85? cross country and then and, five and, and then, 10. Yeah. yeah, and one of those is in Austin. Or was yeah, it the, the two? The, the five and the ten were in the Austin. The five and the five, ten in Austin. Yeah. What was it like to do it in the same place? Was it the same track, Mike Myers uh, Stadium? There? No, I think back in the day, the track was located in the football stadium. And quite frankly, that was 37 years ago, 38 years ago. So In DKR. Brought, yeah, yeah. People uh, mentioned that, uh, you know, what's it like? And it was like, oh, you're right. It was here in Austin. It was so long ago. I hadn't really even entered my mind until people, <laughs> after the fact, mentioned yeah. it. But it is cool because I, I do remember the heat and the humidity mm -hmm. that I had to battle through uh, on those two races, and it gave me an even greater appreciation for what he was able to pull off. Look at that picture. Yeah, look at, look that. at those there's, beautiful there's images there's of you yeah. from a mere 37 years <laughs> a ago. A few years back. And the humidity was legit. Um, yeah. it, was it easier to run in that? Did the muscles kind of loosen in a different way there, or was um, it harder? You're sweating more? Uh, the humidity just causes your body to warm up a little bit easier, so the, the warm-up we did a little bit shorter. Uh, because we, were, we just get warmed up a little faster. But as far as like being out in the race, the longer the race, the more the humidity affects, uh, affects you. And so like the 5K and the 10K are especially hard in the humidity. The steeplechase, I feel like it affects, uh, it affects a little bit uh, as well. Um, but I felt prepared. Um, I feel like we did, we did a lot of work in the sauna getting ready, uh, <laughs> just ready for Austin. I think that helped. And I also was there in 2019 um, as well. And so I had kind of that experience racing in the humidity before, uh, even though it was uh, four years ago. Uh, and uh, so I think that all helped. I, I, I just felt a lot better this time. And we also had like lots of ice vests and ice balloons and things to keep me cool. Kenneth Rooks, you're a national so. champion. Uh, correct us if we're wrong, but you told us that you, typically your go-to meal is a Denny's Grand <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> did you do that in Austin? <laughs> so actually, I did not. But that's uh, because our hotel had, had had breakfast this time. Okay. So I got breakfast. I went to hotel. Denny's and waited. You got, for you, you, did you, <laughs> just that would have been funny. That would have been funny. What yeah. did you eat after to celebrate? After to celebrate, there was a nice uh, pizzeria. I went to Rapolo's Pizzeria afterward. Uh, I actually went there the day before, but I didn't get pizza the day before because I was just trying to eat something a little bit uh, better, better pre-race. And so I was just, I was looking forward to that pizza after the race. Yeah. Did, did anybody in your engineering class have any clue you were the national champion? Did anybody um, say, my hey, professor, dude. my professor did. Oh, good. Okay. 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 Did, yeah. Good. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, man. 
Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> if we ever win anything on this show, we'll be like, we did it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. we can. You're incredibly humble. We're so thrilled for you. Congratulations so on you uh, the national championship. And by the way, a top 10 finish by the men's team. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah you Big know, deal. it was a great performance overall by all of our event categories. I think we took, um, we took about 16, we had 17 entries. We came home with nine first team All-Americans. Amazing. So really good performances. Yeah. Our, our people. And, and there was only one Big 12 uh, team that beat us on the men's side, uh, yeah. Texas. 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 Hey, you've got a legit case for program of the year overall across country and track and field. We'll see. Yeah, we'll they see. will be announcing that later today. Let's go. Okay. Let's see what Let's happens, go. Man. We'll give you we'll give you a firm number one if you get that nod. Okay? Yeah, and if you win it, we'll go, yay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks you guys. Congratulations. Appreciate Thank it you very much. All right. Up next, uh, we wrap the show up with your rise and shout out. This is BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Sports Nation, we are live in Studio B alongside Jerem Jordan. I'm Spencer Linton. We got a lot of homies in the building. Indeed. TV side yep. and our radio homies on BYU Radio. We're friends, love Yes, and one of those good friends on the BYU Radio yeah. side is a fantastic host. Her name is Julie Rose. She works on the show Top of Mind. She is the host of Top of Mind. And uh, Julie, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, your, your job is to find the most interesting topics to discuss. And, and now you bring sports in. You have, you yes. have found your way into sports. Yes. Shocking, we right? Feel val- <laughs> we feel validated. You've been telling me for years, you got to cover <laughs> sports, guys. Right, well, so our podcast every week, we look for, we tackle one tough, tough topic yeah. that people are inclined to argue about. And this is one that I've wanted to do for a really long time because I'm not a, like a, a heavy-duty sports fan. I'll watch a game if it's on and I have to. <laughs> I'm really. If I'm forced. It's all good. I used to know the Cougar Fight song, though. I was okay. a BYU all Cougar right. fan when one I was day, a student here. Um, but the question that, that I was really wondering is like, okay, so most of Americans, at least 60% of Americans, are sports fans. Mm-hmm. Um, is that good for us? Like as a country? We're so polarized right now. And sports is fundamentally tribal, right? Mm-hmm. That's why we have a job. So we're going to say yes. It's we good. would like the answer to be yes here. What have you <laughs> so, found? Well, and, so, and then we go in looking for perspectives that are going to challenge us. And this is one where I kind of had a bias, right? I was like, I feel like this is not good for us. Um, not that it has to go away, but I feel like it's not helping sure. <laughs> in this divisive world that we live in. And we are always looking for surprises. And this one really, really surprised me. Mm. So would it surprise you to know, based on some very credible research, that the bigger sports fan you are, the more friends you have. Okay, this makes no, sense that to makes me sense. because sports is so tribal. Okay. Yes. You want to experience it in an echo chamber of people who like the same fans yes. or the same teams and players that you do. Creates community. So yeah. even more so, though, than, say, you know, if you're like a Comic-Con person or you're mm-hmm. really into, like, I don't know, comic books or, or a band, right? Let's say you're, you know, you would think that that could create the same kind of thing, right? Like, it, it, tribal, you sort of have your thing. Well, sports, more so than pretty much anything else you can think of wow. creates because sports is not sports fandom is not about what's happening on the field. It turns out it's, it's about the texts that go back and forth. 
between your friends. It's about the, you know, it's an excuse to reach out, to communicate with your, you know, your, your grandpa who you don't have much else in common with except for the team that you love, right? right? So it's about these networks and these guys actually did some research. It's a couple of sports marketers who, wrote, who did all this, interviewed like 30,000 fans um, and, and did surveys and focus groups. So that was really fascinating. They found that not only do sports fans have more friends, but they also are, are more satisfied in their jobs. This is the one that really blew my mind, though. The bigger the sports fan you are, the less likely you are to be politically polarized. Wow. So you feel more friendly toward, toward people of an, of an opposing political viewpoint. Interesting. And these guys are arguing, and I actually kind of get it now, that sports fandom could, rather than being, you know, because I was like, it's tribal, it's dividing us. But it can actually be a tool to, to reduce polarization in society at large. Mm. So even though I'm not a sports fan, I am way more supportive now of the idea that people should be sports fans. Because, and here's why, I'm like, it doesn't make sense that it would be less polarized because it's always us versus them. Someone's always winning and losing. But polarization functions when you have poles and and, and the nature of it is that you're getting pulled to one side or the other. Mm -hmm. So the more identities you have as a person, Mm -hmm. the less strength any of these poles have to draw you into it, into an us versus them idea. So more teams, a couple of teams. Or even just, well, sure, there's that. But there's also, like, if your identity, okay, so you're you're a Cougar fan, you're also a dad, you're also, uh, you know, maybe you identify really a lot with where you went to school or with uh, your religion, for example, right? Like, those are the identities that, you know, those are the identities that that affect what we value, um, where we spend our time. And the more you have of those, the less pull any of those have to kind of suck you into the, the dangerous polarization where you see everybody else as the other. So there's that. There's the fact that yeah. if you have a more, com- it's called identity, com- well, uh, it complicates your identity and makes you less, less um, susceptible, wow. susceptible to falling into polarization. Interesting. And also it creates, so like if you're going to go you know, you're at a big game. What matters, this person who's sitting next to you is also cheering and you're talking about your favorite player and what's going on. You might find out that they have a completely opposite political view than you, but that doesn't matter. You're still getting to know that person. And maybe this is the first time you've ever met somebody who is X, right? Of a certain race or a certain ethnicity or a certain political stripe. And you're going to feel less it's going to be harder to sort of paint all those people mm-hmm. as other. I know you, so-and-so. And yeah, they're yep. cool, and we share and, the same yep. affinity. We had a fun yeah. experience together. Yeah, so bonded. sports fandom is the solution to all our problems. I we, feel like I'm Julie, happier because of sports. It's not that simple, honestly. but We've been I'll doing this show. We've been sure. doing this show for almost 10 years. Welcome. Okay? <laughs> Welcome. You're like, it's about time. You are in here, Julie. We <laughs> got Welcome. you. There is room for you, okay, as, as a sports fan with us. And, no, we appreciate, sincerely, the, uh, the fascinating research that goes into this. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's not just like, hey, like sports, your life will be better. There's, there's real, real meat. Tangible data now. Let's and awesome. lean into the, the power that sports can be to create connection. Yeah. So send the text. When the team, you know, reach out to the old friend from college that you haven't been in touch with in a while. Get the family group chat going when your team is on a streak. Um, And also recognize, you know, that sports is commercial. There are profit motives in play here. This is not, they're not out to make you a better person. They're out to make money. So recognize that. 
but use it for the power that it has Great to stuff. improve our yeah. communities. Julie, thanks for the time. You're welcome. Thanks for letting me come on. The host of Top of Mind, Julie Rose. Download a show. Check it out. Yeah. Absolutely. Great stuff. Up next on BYU Sports Station, a little whip around moment and who gets the rise and shout out. Stay with us. The best of BYU Sports Station will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation. We are live in Studio B, and we welcome you all back with today's Rise and Shoutout presented by Mountain America Credit Union, the official credit union of BYU Athletics. We give it to Mark Robison, longtime associate head coach, BYU track and field, more than three decades. He's with us in Studio B. Congratulations on a remarkable career, Coach. Thank you very much. It's been quite a journey. Yeah, well Are you sure you want to hang it up? Rise you don't have shout. to leave, right? You don't have to actually retire? Uh, I think I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for BYU to kick in on that pension in retirement, huh? Uh, I'm hoping so. Let's go. Yeah, on the old pension's a lot better than the new <laughs> one. <laughs> you benefit from that. Uh, yes, I You do. benefit yeah, from I that. Like that. Well, Well-deserved. How would you summarize 35 years of coaching at BYU? I mean, what a career, and you've, you've seen some of the greatest that have ever walked through? Uh, for me, it's relationships. Um, to be able to spend that much time with some of the most remarkable athletes, um, and then just being grateful for the association with different coaches, um, staff people from trainers and strength and conditioning, our facility people, our ground. I mean, it's all in relationships and then individual memories of basically overcoming great obstacles and being able to move forward. It's, it's mm. pretty incredible. What Very, are some of those uh, memories that stick out? Well, our sport is so different than all of the team sports. We've still had some amazing things as it, when we were in the, the, the WAC and in the Mountain West Conference, we had unbelievable teams um, and so some of those were just so much fun when the team got together. In fact, I think it was 2001, um, we were going into the last event, the 4x4. Four four. The scores tied us in Colorado State. And so whoever won that, and it was just neck and neck. And oh, man. the two teams are just, and we were going and we were running all over. It was indoors and we were all, and, and our anchor pulled away from the Colorado State guy. <laughs> we could see the Colorado State coach throw his notebook, and that was a pretty amazing thing. There's been, we've been third a couple times in the NCAA, indoor and outdoor, but the greatest moments are just the individual mm. ones. Half the time it's in my office when they're overcoming just great obstacles in their lives and trying to get through injuries and trying to do these, just these little individual things. It's not the national champions, it's not the ones qualifying for the Olympics and those kinds of things. Even though those are amazing, it's just seeing individual victories in their lives and being able to be prepared to move on and to actually make a difference in the world and as a husband and father and or mother and wife and community, I mean, religion, it's, those are the, the joys that I'm gonna take with me. Mark Robison, longtime BYU track and field coach, is with us on BYU Sports Nation. You have coached thousands of athletes, and within those thousands, there have been six national champions, 
40 All-Americans. You've been a part of 20 conference championships. Is there a season that sticks out as you look back specifically on, on everything? It's tough to pick because you've, you've been there for 35 years, but is, is there a season that was just unforgettable for you? Um, I don't know if there's just one. Um, sometimes in, in athletics, we, we look at years where, you know, the, the team placed incredibly high at nationals and or um, obviously win the conference championship. Um, I would think some of them are when we didn't have the best talent, but we made the most growth. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I remember one time um, when I was the, the head coach for the men, we had had the worst first day of competition that I could ever remember. And I, that was probably 20, 25 years after I'd started. And my dad was the coach forever. And I remember calling him and just saying, Dad, I don't know. <laughs> we could not have had a, a worse day. We look pathetic. We are just, I don't know what to do. And so we talked for a few minutes. My dad is amazing. And had a team meeting and said, look, well, I basically told him, we, you couldn't have done a, a poor job the first day. The worst I have ever seen. And we then strategized and did some things. And the kids, you talk about two different days, and we won the conference by like five points. And it wow. Was, and I was like, there's no way this is even possible. And that was one of the most rewarding. And it wasn't because we had the best team. <laughs> but they performed, uh, well, they exceeded expectations and they exceeded what they had done hmm. all year. And especially the day before. So it was fun. That comeback is incredible. We do need to ask you the question we were discussing a minute ago, the fastest you know, player we were thinking kind of BYU football. But what, what have you seen in terms of speed at BYU? Well, there's football speed and there's track speed. Um, I remember even when Herschel Walker ran at Georgia and they ran, we had the NCAA championships here, blew everybody away for the first 60 meters and then got smoked in, in the last 60, but he could play football. Um, the two people that are the fastest that have ever been at BYU are Frank Fredericks and, and uh, Leonard Miles Mills. Both of them were NCAA champions. Frank, silver medalist, uh, multiple times in the 100 and the 200, and then Leonard uh, was ninth in the world, I think, his senior year. Um, but the, the scouts, the pro scouts were on campus one day indoors. NFL scouts? The NFL scouts. There were four or five of them. Okay. Brian Mitchell, who was quarterback or the uh, back. Defensive corners, backs coach. Yeah, 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 yeah. Corner coach. He, he was just joking with the scouts and the pro scouts and just said, hey, you want to time some really fast guys? And they said, sure. And Frank and, and Leonard were just starting a workout. So they were in spikes, they were warmed up, and it was on the indoor track in the, in the field house, and they just said, uh, will you guys run a 40? And they said, sure. And so they just all stood down there. It's very different because you, they get to start to watch when you move, not like track and field, when you get to move when the gun goes off. And uh, Frank ran first, and I think he ran 396. <laughs> and, and then Leonard ran 397. Oh my. And the, the scouts said, okay, would you guys do it again? And they go, did we do something wrong? And they go, no, we've never seen anybody break four. And so then they both went back 
and Frank ran a hundredth of a second faster, and so did Leonard. <laughs> oh my gosh. And they are like, you know what? We will offer you a contract right now. But neither one of them wanted to play football. No, no. <laughs> Frank Fredericks wanted to win a silver medal in the yeah, Olympics. Like four times. Um, he was multiple times. Yeah. yeah. He was, for 10 years, he was ranked top three in the world. Incredible. So, yeah. Um, sprinters don't do that, especially clean ones. Fantastic. Especially clean ones. Hey, speaking, Patrick Mitchell was pretty fast, too, for BYU football. A great hurdler. Yeah. Like yeah, did fast. both, right? Jamal he Williams did. did both. People forget. Yeah, Jamal yeah. did. Um, the one, there, there's been several. Um, Taysom could have done it. Did you ever recruit Taysom? Yeah. Reverse no. Ziggy? We're like, he, we gave you Ziggy. Can you give us Taysom? Well, yeah. And Ziggy, we were going to have him do it to deck. But he was like, I can't pull vault. And I said, well, we can get a big enough pull, and you can be the Ghanaian national record holder in the <laughs> He didn't. <laughs> no, he, was, he was huge. Nobody yeah. would want to be in the lanes next to him. Yeah. Broad shoulders. Especially indoors. Sure. He knocked a couple kids over, and they're like, <laughs> It's I'm not going to work. I am never starting next to Ziggy ever again. That's amazing. He, my first interactions with him were just playing pickup basketball in the Richards building. Oh, man. And so it's like, oh, he's doing some track. He's, now he's on the football team. Now he's the fifth pick. It's like, what in the world happened? That's one of the best stories of all time. That's your best uh, assist to football ever. Uh, yeah, they, they uh, especially with Leonard Miles Mills, they used to say, uh, we will send you to Ghana. If you will go and try to recruit kids wow. to see wow. if you can find, find some things, because Leonard goes there every summer. He works gotcha. still with their federation and stuff, and does a lot of humanitarian things. And so, but awesome. he never did do that. Coach, uh, we appreciate the time. Congratulations on everything. Uh, we're glad that you brought up your we're father, Clarence. You, named yeah. the tracks named after him. You talked about it. One of the stories you had with him. He's remarkable. You're remarkable. An amazing career for you at BYU. Congratulations Thanks for the time. Thank you. You got it. Yeah. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Next on BYUSN, it's a trap. What's the biggest trap game on BYU football's 2023 schedule? We'll discuss. And today's best BYU football wins bracket features two all-time wins over Utah. Which is our favorite? They're all wonderful, but you got to pick a favorite. Welcome to BYU Sports Nation, presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. It is Wednesday, June 14th. I am Spencer Linton, alongside a man who has teamed up with lifelong Texas A&M fan. Wait, what? Jerem Jordan. I would argue against that, uh, but Big Game Boomer is saying BYU and Texas A&M fans are exactly alike in one of his latest uh, social media offerings. I don't necessarily understand huh? this one, uh, per se. I was hoping to get some insight from David Nixon at some point, <laughs> who's from College Station and nearly went to Texas A&M. Yes, yes, yes. But went to yes. BYU, so we'll, we'll have to get a little more info from uh, BGB, who was on the show during uh, the fall on that one. Big Game Boomer already hit the pinnacle with... The parking the, one. Yes, parking post. I think you should retire. Just end on <laughs> just top. Done. Just you're Jim done. Brown that. You're done, man. You're, just, you're uh, well done. But a tie over with Texas A&M. Yeah, I was trying to draw parallels and just could not come to a significant conclusion that that is accurate. We'll have to think about that one. Okay. We'll, we'll search, ponder, and pray on that one. Uh, <laughs> maybe two of those three. Okay, on today's show, what's the biggest trap game on the schedule? Ah, oh, plenty of uh, opportunities there for traps. Let's hope, hopefully uh, BYU shows up in these. Brian Logan weighs in on that and his standouts in the secondary. What's your favorite win over Utah? 
There's a head-to-head matchup in today's best win bracket and an inside look at the men's basketball facial recognition tech yep. for shooting analytics. Spencer and I went over to the Marriott Center Annex to get the latest with Keegan Brown. Plenty of time for us to take action, get things going, rise and shout. Let's get to what's trending. What's Trending presented by Tim Daly Ford, part of the Tim Daly Auto Group serving Utah since 1968. Trap games are the topic of choice. As we look at the 2023 BYU football schedule, 10 Power Fives, first time ever. They open with two games the Cougars should win and will be heavily favored in. Of those 12 games on the regular season schedule, Jerem, which qualifies as the biggest trap game for BYU? So uh, it's game 10, and it's Iowa State. Really? Here's why it's Iowa State. The week before, uh, BYU is coming off its longest road trip of the season at West Virginia. So that will take a toll in some way on BYU. Hopefully not in the game. Hopefully just early the next week. BYU's a little gassed. We'll see what time that game's at. Then BYU comes home for Iowa State. But the next week is what you look at with the trap game. It's that Oklahoma on senior day is sitting there. And hopefully BYU's bowl eligible in 6-4 and four at this point or 6-3 or, or something and really ahead of it where they're not like, you know, fighting for a bowl game at this point. But it's a fi- kind of a 50-50, right, um, for ESPN FPI there nearly. Oklahoma is enticing whether they're good or not sitting there on senior day. I just hope BYU doesn't look ahead, which is the main trap thing for me to where BYU is focused on Iowa State, who hopefully BYU can win at home. To me, that's one of the more winnable games at home. But if you're peeking ahead too far and you go, ooh, Oklahoma okay. next week, senior day, where uh, hopefully BYU's in a position, again, where a bowl game's in play or they've clinched and maybe they need it, maybe that helps. But Iowa State to me is a little tricky, not because of Iowa State, but because of travel the week before and a massive opponent coming up the next week. Is BYU even capable of overlooking a Power 5 opponent? That's why I struggled with this topic. Uh, They're all Power yes. 5 opponents. Yes, you, they are capable. I don't, I, I just, because BYU has never played a full conference Power 5 schedule, I just don't know, I don't know that they can get even get to a mindset where they're at liberty of overlooking. Liberty, you say? That was the trap game last year, and I picked it. Yeah. And I hate that I was right about it. I hated that game. That's one of my least favorite games in BYU football history, the Liberty game. I don't feel like there is that type of opponent once you get deep into the schedule for BYU. You have 10 power fives. So I'm like, can BYU, can they even get there? <laughs> can they even get to a point where they're like, ah, yeah, we should probably beat this power five opponent? One gajillion percent. Because Man. BYU feels like it's been Power 5 worthy for a long time, right? So it's like, well, within this space, we feel like we should win this game at home, regardless of who it is, right? You yeah, can make BYU the same case absolutely for, get to this You can place. make the same case with that setup and your logic for Texas Tech with Texas approaching, That's my right? second pick. Texas okay. Tech would so be that So that logic applies. Squeezed between TCU on the road and Texas on the road. That one's a tough one. So both home games with big-name, huge-brand opponents, 
later down the line. Yeah, that's, that's the definition of trap game. We've overlooked this team because next week it's a bigger game. And see, I just don't know. I just can't. I could not buy into this morning the idea that BYU can overlook a Power 5 conference Big 12 opponent in their inaugural season. Maybe a few years down the road. I don't know. No, it'll happen quickly. Trust BYU's me. the new kid, so BYU. Listen, if BYU starts four and one, we're getting <laughs> cocky fast. Okay. Okay. Hear me out. Hear me out. Okay. This is, and I, I can't wait for the backlashes. Betzer, what are you talking? About? My trap game is the season opener against Sam Houston State. BYU. Listen. What is the definition of a trap game? Overlooked opponent, big favorite often. Okay. Supposed to dominate. I think the line's too high. So do you. We talked about this. 20 Yeah, but we're talking about winning favorite. and losing, not margin. Tons of big games ahead. Ten power fives later down the line. Like BYU's supposed to handle Sam Houston State. Sure. The Cougars have 20 transfers. They have an entirely revamped defensive staff. This is the first game, first time they will have an opportunity to try and gel all together on the field in game number one. Yes. Sam Houston State is not by any means a powerful opponent, but they have great history. They have great pride in their product. Their head coach, uh, Casey Keeler, 80-23 and 23 now into his eighth season. They were, the FCS, FCS. they were the FCS national champions in 2020. They're a perennial FCS Spring power. Yeah. They've been to the national championship game three times in the last 12 years. This is a program that has everything to prove – Nothing to lose to go out and try and make some type of statement against BYU. If the Cougars are not sharp and don't come out of the gate playing well with all of these new pieces and they're trying to figure things out, I wouldn't be surprised if it got weird for a little while. Or but is BYU like, losing ah. the game? No, but that doesn't necessarily mean like that. Be, like a trap game doesn't mean that the team ultimately loses. It's just, are you caught off guard? Like, whoa, it, can it get to that weird territory? If BYU is not careful against their season-opening opponent with all of the things that lie ahead, first Big 12 year, Arkansas, Kansas, Cincinnati, yeah, all Southern these Utah games. the next game, but yeah. So the, BYU is yeah. supposed to yeah. dominate the first two games, which we hope they will, which yeah. we think they should. If they don't win by 17-plus, it's a disappointment. Exactly. But 17 is still underwhelming against Sam Houston. Sam Houston has had an incredible defense, but their offense is terrible. It so was if, last the, if year. the BYU defense um, doesn't doesn't uh, you know show up, sure. But okay, Sam Houston. I'm just I'm looking at the, the battle de- of two dudes. The definition of trap game, which is just you're supposed to dominate. You overlook the opponent. There are several big games down the line. It's just a yeah, we'll take care of them and then get on to the next big thing, which eventually will become Arkansas. Yeah, Sam Houston, S- Southern Utah is not a good FCS program. Sam Houston has the history of being a great FCS program, and they're making the jump to Division I. So again, they have nothing to lose. BYU's paying them to come to Provo. This is a situation where BYU, in years recent, has relished. Like, they have thrived. You paid us to come and play this game. You're supposed to kick our butts. And in some cases, BYU's won that game. BYU a different kind of opponent to those opponents than Sam Houston to BYU. But yes. I'm just saying, like, it, it could get weird if BYU is not sharp out of the gate. And that's okay. So many new things for BYU. Sam Houston does return a lot of experience, even though they were only 5-4 and four last year. Yeah, not their, a great their season. offense was pathetic. Okay? The yeah. defense was really good. Defense, super good. 
Again, they have nothing to lose and everything to gain, everything to prove that, hey, we belong. Let's go out and, and play a tough game. I don't expect BYU. BYU to be that sharp in game one, frankly. Um, it's, it's a new quarterback, a new running back, a, a revamped offensive line with new guys. I don't expect BYU to be gangbusters in game Which one. Which factors into why I, I do Sam expect Houston. BYU to win by 17 plus in game one. Yeah. So if you, but you said if they win by only 17, that would be underwhelming. 17 plus is great. Yeah. Okay, so as long as it's at yeah. least 17, yeah. you're okay with this. And then you, listen, it's not a, it's about just fine-tuning those first two so that you're competitive in the Big 12 and that you, you're into a flow. I don't need BYU to win at Arkansas, but I do need BYU to hopefully beat Kansas on the road and Cincinnati at home and start. 4-1 would be nice. Now you're, you will go to a bowl game if you start 4-1. Like, you're going to win two of the next uh, seven. That's the hope. It, that's BYU, whoever yeah. they beat, whoever, like, they can just piece together a 4-1 record in the opening five. That'd be amazing. Okay. I'd take 3-2 right win now You win at Arkansas, well. yeah. you lose at Kansas, but you beat Cincinnati. Great, you're 4-1. Yeah. I don't care how BYU gets to 4-1. I just hope they get to 4-1. But if we're just talking straight-up trap game, this game makes me a little bit weary because it's the first. It's new, and there are so many new parts for BYU. Even if it was Southern Utah, yeah, it's it's. I don't expect you know just gangbusters. It's it's not going to be O one where BYU comes out with seventy on Tulane. Like I would love no. that. We're it's hoping just, it's not two thousand seventeen where BYU well, that was struggles pathetic, against Portland State, right? Well, that's not just Portland State. That's a pathetic BYU team. Like that's the worst BYU team in the last fifty. Years. That BYU team was yeah. picked to win ten games by Bill Connolly and ESPN in right? Vegas. Yes, but. No, they were, that was a terrible BYU team. So I don't compare this team to that team at all, unless we think this team's going to be pathetic. I don't think it's going to be which either. we don't. Just yeah. saying we're hoping which that that one's, is not the case. We talked about trap game. Which one's the crap game, though, really? <laughs> that, which one on the schedule is like, oh, crap, that game? Uh, I don't know. I, like, there's not one where I go, there's no chance BYU wins. Like, there's not a game like that. Not at Arkansas, not at Texas, not yeah. at TCU, Oklahoma at home. They're, like, there's no crap game. But there are trap games, as we've uh, highlighted. So in case you missed it, in case you're just joining us, I said uh, Iowa State. Spence said Sam Houston. Yeah. Right? Which inevitably there's uh, a game or two or three that sometimes you overlook. The, the wild thing last year is the trap game was Oregon and Liberty. Like a couple of – like Oregon, BYU did not show up at all. It was like, what happened? We're ranked 12th in the country, shouldn't we? At least have a lead at some point in this thing and, and be competitive? No, it wasn't Oregon had been blown out Liberty? by Georgia. Nope. They were embarrassed. So we thought, oh, this is the year Oregon's gettable. No. Not the case. Uh, it was the year that Georgia was not gettable. That's <laughs> We looked into that domination a little too much. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Like I said, I, I know that many of you are thinking, no way, no way, no way is Sam Houston State a trap game. But it, by definition... I just laid it out for you. It's everything that goes typically into a trap game. Opponent, you're supposed to dominate. It's at home. The BYU has no reason to not show up and just crush this team. They're a 24-point favorite. But this is not your typical former FCS team. And this is a national championship caliber team. Well, they're, In the FCS level. Yeah, they okay. went 5-4 and four last year. I know. I know. I know. The program has a ton of pride, so it makes me just a little bit if weary. pride scores touchdowns, that's great. <laughs> if it makes you play harder, who knows? <laughs> who, knows who knows? Things can get weird. I hope they don't. That takes us to today's best win bracket conversation. Okay, This is based on BYU-Utah rivalry showdown here. Okay, 
we are trying to determine the greatest BYU football win all time. And this will also lead into our question of the day, which we will get to in a moment. But if you are new to the program or you're just joining this bracket fun, we lay out a matchup every day to try and determine which is the greatest in BYU football history. We will also recap the previous day's matchup and the results there. So with that in mind, let's recap a doozy of a 7-10 matchup. Red River, uh, Red River rivalry scenario. Red River rivalry. 7 seed 2009 Oklahoma beating the Sooners in Jerry's World against the embarrassment of Texas in 2013 when BYU ran for a program best 550 rushing yards against the Longhorns. So, moving on to the second round in that Red River rivalry showdown with 70% of the vote is the seven seed. Chalk remains supreme in this bracket. We no have upsets. no upsets thus far. Oklahoma handily beating Texas in the 7-10 matchup. There you go. Okay. That's gonna be a good 2-7 right there. Oh man, Michigan 84 taken on 2009 Oklahoma. I like it. You beat a number three team in the country, and the other one, you win the national championship. You beat a team that was ranked third in the country earlier <laughs> At some year. point. Until they, Jim Harbaugh broke his until, arm. Until injuries, okay? Now let's get to our matchup of the day. Utah, the sixth seed versus the 11th seed, 2001 Utah. Of course, oh, massive wins in both. We start with 2021. BYU enters the game having lost nine straight games to that team up north. You Utah don't was say. ranked number 21. The day before this, you accepted the invite to the Big 12. The defense forced two turnovers, got a huge fourth down stop. Jaron Hall, three touchdown passes, 92 yards rushing, 149 yards passing. BYU ran for 219, controlled the line of scrimmage right before the half to the former U-turn-Coog, Samson Nakua for the touchdown. Gives Ryan Smith some dab. Gunnar Romney with the touchdown. BYU wins it 26-17, and the celebration was on. That pair of two days, I thought the rapture was happening the next day. I thought we were done. <laughs> Alas, we were not. We still have <laughs> stuff. BYU on their way to becoming the de facto Pac-12 South champions. First of five Pac-12 Nine-point victory. In 2001, the 11 seed, the BYU Cougars protecting a perfect season, ranked number eight, trailed 21-10 in the fourth quarter. Doman to Staley, 92-yard drive, cut it to three, and then Staley gave BYU the lead. 30 yards with a little over a minute left, and Gennaro Guilford sealed the game, picking off Utah quarterback Lance Rice. BYU wins 24-21. I have heard people say it's still the loudest, craziest I've ever experienced Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Some guy outside gave me a free ticket to this game, like 11th row. I'll never what? forget it. That game, th okay, this is the first time, I think, where I want the lower seed. The 11 seed. You want the 11 seed to I, win? I have a one here. That meant so much in the moment. I know that season soured with the two losses at the end and Luke Staley breaking his leg. And I know the nine game uh, win streak day after the big, or losing streak day after the Big 12 is a huge deal. 
That 0-1 win was unbelievable, and it came down to the wire, and who can't defend a boundary option play? Like, what in the world? It was amazing. It was amazing. Clearly, it oh, was a great call. Oh, and the interception. Oh, I love 01. That game was amazing. <laughs> That's my vote in this one. Okay, the six versus the 11. Both are wins versus the arch nemesis. Well played Utah. by the Bracketeers. <laughs> Not to be confused with the Lumineers. Okay, that's a perfect lead into our question of the day. Which is juicy, man. What is Woo! your favorite BYU win ever against Utah? What's yours? In any sport. In any sport. Mine's football. It has to be what we witnessed on the sideline in Rice Eccles okay. Stadium. Back to Harley. In 2006. To Harley. It yeah. does not get no. more dramatic no. and better than that. Yes. It ended a four game losing streak to Utah. I, f I felt something there when you said that. 06, man. It it's just, it. I think about everything that happened after that game, how many phone calls I made to people, how many text messages I sent. It dominated my thoughts. It for still so does. so long, and it remains. Like we see the that. The play highlight. has a name. When the play that won the game has a name, it's special, man. That was, that was incredible. So it's 2006 Beck to Harleen that's, for me. That's the one to me. That's special. Yeah. Caleb Hatch on Instagram joins the conversation. He says, Beck to Harleen yeah, all baby. time. Last yeah. play of the game. Pulling improbable <laughs> play as time expires at their place. And to see their disappointed and stunned faces <laughs> is the most satisfying <laughs> win over them ever. It's too true. But storming the field... From the Rock in 2021 was also surreal. One of the yeah. best nights of my life. That was a celebration of getting into the Big 12, too. It wasn't just Utah. It was celebrating, yeah. hey, we, we finally got the validation we've sought. That 06 play is the only BYU football moment I have up on my wall. A big picture by Dan Ransom, who was our producer at iProvo when we had our Wayne's World show. A local cable access show on it's iProvo the shot of covering shots. Provo and Timview. It's the picture from Beck Tarleen, and our yes. homie Dan Ransom took it, and I paid him 50 bucks to get it in a frame, and it's in my house still, and it's the only BYU play I have up in my house. I mean, that's the one. Wow. The one. At Ja L. Smith on Twitter answers Lavelle's last game. That's a great one, too. Aptly named Lavelle's last miracle. Yeah. I was sitting there in the student section with my son. I took grief from those around me all in the game Utah long. student section. It was at Utah. Yeah, I, I've seen two games in the Utah student section. It's it's intense. I still respect Lavelle and Mac for the way they conducted themselves. Yep. It was a kinder, gentler rivalry era. Totally. Nice to have that final game for a legend. Now, BYU benefited in that game. I've said it before, from no replay, because Luke Staley absolutely fumbled. You need the ball. some luck. You need <laughs> yes, some luck you sometimes. You need you need uh, a good review. Or lack thereof. Hashtag BYUSN Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, and Instagram. I've told you before. Like, I'm not a believer in <laughs> the heavens being involved in games. God doesn't care about I, I have, results. I can count, I think, I think two times, and both of these times happened when I was very young, that I prayed for BYU to win a game late. And this was one of those scenarios where I was just like, Lavelle cannot. He cannot go out losing please, to Utah. Please like not like he this. He cannot go out with a losing season. Like, there was so much on the line. Yeah. And it, and it worked out. Tanner Mangum put it best. He said, when he was asked after Nebraska, he said, Dan Patrick said, do you believe that God cares about who wins and loses? And he said, I don't believe he cares about that. I believe he cares about individuals. Yeah. And one could argue on that night he cared about Maybe he cared individual. about... <laughs> I don't, I don't want to dig into that Austin Collie on and off to feel living right. <laughs> I, but yes. sometimes it sure feels like that. The other time I prayed was, sure in the, was the like Cotton that. Bowl. I just... I, 
I pray every third down, so oh I don't know what, what you're talking about. Oh, my On goodness. On July 1st, we got the <laughs> Big 12 party. We're going to celebrate BYU being in the Big 12, baby. It's a BYSN game day, July 1st, 5 Eastern time, two-hour dish on BYU TV, BYU Radio, and the BYU TV app. And if you're local, come hang out and party with us. Up next, our guy Brian Logan hey. is back in studio to discuss his favorite win over Utah ever. I think I know the answer. Yeah, we know the answer. <laughs> no one backpedals better than Brian Logan. Is he worried that it's going to take a while for BYU to gel as well with all those new parts? This is BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Joining us now, a man who played in that game, Lavelle's Last Miracle. BYU running back Brian McDonald from the 2000 and 2001 seasons is live over Zoom. Brian, welcome to BYU oh, Sports Nation. Thanks, guys. Appreciate uh, you guys having me on. And your prayer did. Your prayer, I think, <laughs> put us over the top. There have been a lot of BYU <laughs> prayers answered in that stadium, right? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Brian, as you watch that game and, and relive those highlights, what type of emotions do you feel? Uh, it just brings back just fond memories, just joy, happiness. I mean, we were counted out at that point. You know, fourth and 18, Brandon drops back, was able to connect with Jonathan Pittman, who made a spectacular play. I mean, Jonathan Margin, Mike Regal, I mean, those are some dogs. And Jonathan made a spectacular catch. And then, you know, the, the other highlights that you showed with him with the toe, toe swag, just right there tipping the sidelines. I mean... It was, it was, we were destined to win because of your prayer. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't Dolman uh, actually running or Pittman catching. It was Spencer's prayer. Yes. I like that. Yes. Um, okay. In that game, you guys are up 16. Are you, did you feel like, oh, this thing's over at that point? And then how did you sort of handle the adversity of, okay, now we have to have a dramatic game winning drive here? Yeah, we, we did get a little overconfident when we were up 16. Um, and then we got smacked in the face and, and that team had a never quit attitude. And so um, as long as there was time on the clock, we knew we were still in the game and, and we had confidence in, in one another that we were going to pull it out. So there really wasn't any doubt in our mind that we were going to win that game. Really? I, I want to go inside that a little bit because take us into your mindset when it's fourth and 13 with under a minute to play, you got more than 80 yards to go to score a touchdown to, to essentially, or to score to take the lead. And there's your third-string quarterback, Brandon Doman. Like, how are you feeling in that moment? I mean, we had all the confidence in Brandon. Like, we saw what Brandon can do week in and week out at practice. Brandon is probably one of the most competitive individuals that that I have ever come across. I mean, if you're playing a game of checkers, he wants to he wants to kill you. <laughs> um, and so, I knew I knew him in the game. Like, we had we had a chance. Um, with our own line, Jason Sukanik providing just great protection for him. All he needed was a little daylight, and and you see what happens. You had a touchdown in this game, three carries, but one of them is the score. What do you remember from that play? Uh, I was yeah lucky enough to kind of start off uh, started off on a good note with that touchdown. I mean, when you have Kalani blocking for you, when you have you know Dustin Riker, Jason Sukanik, Ben Archibald, um, and the Big Hogs all on the line. I mean, anybody can run behind them and look good. 
You see Brandon Doman score, and BYU goes back up. You're going to win the game. What was the locker room and sideline like after the game as you celebrated with Lavelle and all of your teammates? Oh, it was, I mean, it was magical. Like, we wanted to send Lavelle out on a good note. Like, he, he's a, he was a phenomenal coach, but even more, um, just a father figure and just a great man. And so we really wanted to, to send him out on, on a high note. And with the 6-6 six and six record, not having a losing record was really important to us. And so it meant the world to us to be able to, to send him out on a good note, especially after, you know, the, the week before having, having the stadium named after him. Um, you know, our mindset was to continue that, continue that, you know, that game set and, and send Lavelle out on a good note. The next year, 2001, and it's the game that we just talked about, just got edged out by uh, 2021 Utah. That was a special game, too. That's to keep an undefeated season alive. You're down 11 with six minutes left. You're trying to win the league. And for some reason, Utah can't cover a boundary option. Um, what do you remember from that game? And some people say that's the loudest that stadium may have ever been when Luke scores. I mean, when you have number six, Luke Staley, who is by far the – the best running back that BYU has has ever had, in, in my humble opinion. Um, you know, you're always in the game with number six in the backfield. He was just a phenomenal athlete, uh, an even greater person off the field, um, and his work ethic and dedication, he was not going to get beat. Brian McDonald is with us on BYU Sports Nation. As you look back on your time under Coach Edwards, what are some of your favorite stories or maybe the best thing about playing for Coach Edwards? Uh, for me personally, it wasn't even anything on the field. I mean, we all know what of a great coach um, that he was in regards to the innovation that he brought to college football. Um, but for me, it was, I'm a convert to the church, so I joined the church in March 9th of 2003, and then in um, in 04, decided to serve a mission. And so every week, um, I would get a letter from Coach Edwards. Um, he would give me words of encouragement. Um, you know, he would tell me about what the things that he was going on. Um, but just to have that as a convert to the church, who's, who at that time family wasn't supportive of, of me serving the mission, but to have my college coach to, to be there for me emotionally and um, and writing letters every week really meant uh, many, really meant the world to me. I mean, kind of um, showed me why I I decided to choose BYU over over some of the other schools that were pursuing me out of uh, Cerritos College. I don't know if I've heard of someone who comes to BYU, gets baptized, heard of that, but then then goes on a mission after you played. Where, where'd you go on your mission? I didn't know this. Yeah, so I served in the D.C. South mission, um, so it covered Northern Virginia, so I served there 04 to 06. And it was, yeah, truly the, the best thing, um, you know, that I ever could have done at that time, um, set me up for you know, lifelong success and being able to, you know, to be the individual I am today for my, for my wife and my two beautiful children. Mm, amazing stuff with Brian McDonald on BYU Sports Nation. I know that you feel deeply for all of those teammates that competed with you on the field for Coach Edwards, including the current head coach, Kalani Satake. Brian, what's your relationship like with Kalani being two members of the backfield in those years at BYU? Uh, you know, Kalani and myself just have a, a brotherhood and a connection that will last throughout um, throughout all time. Um, he's a special individual, and he's the right right man to to lead BYU into this 
into this new future of the Big 12 and and hopefully for, for years to come. He's assembled a, a great um, coaching staff, you know, with Coach Guilford, with Coach Enna, with now Coach Hill, um, and Coach Popinga and the other um, individuals that he brought on. Um, you know, Kalani's commitment to excellence and to winning and to creating that brotherhood, um, you know, reminds me a lot of Coach Edwards. Um, and so it's, I'm, I'm happy to, to see him have the success that, that he's had thus far and look forward to, you know, more success as years go on. Any good Kalani stories from when uh, you were playing with him his senior year, your junior year? Uh, just one time in the summer, it was actually him, Justin Anna, and a bunch of us were playing basketball. Like, I accidentally fouled Kalani. I didn't think it was a foul, and, like, he almost killed me that day. <laughs> The, the look um, in his eye was very familiar to, um, I can't remember the year, but when they were playing up at the University of Utah, we got a couple of targeting calls. Uh-huh. And, 2016. And he, 2016, and he gave that referee a look. <laughs> and I was, sitting, I was sitting at home, and I turned to my wife, and I was like, I know what that looks like. <laughs> and I experienced it myself in that pickup basketball game. Oh, man. Well, we're glad that he held back. Uh, angry Kalani is a then, very real thing. I loved his sarcastic after the interception. He go, oh, yeah. The clap, the Just clap. super yes. sarcastic. Yes. Oh, so great fun. stuff. Brian, it's great to catch up with you. Uh, we appreciate the insight. Incredible story about uh, your conversion, your mission, That's playing awesome. for Coach Edwards. Uh, you, sir, are a class act, and uh, let's get you back on the show again soon. Sounds good. Appreciate the great job you guys are doing. Keep it up. You got it. Brian Thanks, McDonald. Brian. BYU football running back 2000 I, and 2000. I really liked watching uh, Brian play. He, he brought a certain swag, swag there. Swagger is the word. He's the, he's the swaggiest BYU running back with a nasal strip ever. Okay, That, that look was different and unique and fun. And the nasal was, strip was cool. Marshall Fultz did cool. that occasionally. It was cool. Yeah. yeah, even San Diego State guys did it, you know. But it was, it was he and Luke for, formed this really fun combination yeah. in 2000 and 2001. It was awesome. That backfield was unbelievable in 2001. One-two punch, man. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Okay, join us uh, tomorrow as we have a 1981 Men's Hoops Reviewables as we look back at the greatest team in BYU men's basketball history. Tomorrow at noon Eastern on BYU TV and BYU Radio. Still on the way with the flash on the mind. Who's the fastest player ever in BYU athletics history? Mm. We'll discuss. This is BYU Sports Day. Okay, then. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. You demand it, we allow it. BYU Sports Nation is on demand. Download the free BYU TV and BYU Radio app or listen to the podcast. Subscribe, rate, and give it a five-star review. Please. The Cougar Whip Around, presented by Maersk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. Yeah, let's whip it and opinionate. Mason Wake is using his NIL rights to hire an eighth-grade student named Thomas Hansen to code a video game called Mason Wake's Hurdle Mania. I love this. Can't wait to play it. Is this a great way to use his name, yes. image, and likeness? It's creative. It's new. It's totally. a blue ocean approach. Try something new. Uh, you know, I saw some images of the game. It looks really fun. Yeah, and how about an eighth grader backing this? This is fantastic. NIO associated with making money off of it. He may not make money off this, but he is allowing his 
name, image, and likeness to be used in this one, yes. which is cool. I love that. All right, the account Unashamed Big 12 tweeted some information about Big 12 road trips this season. Oh, that was your burner, is it not? <laughs> it is not. Okay. Get this, BYU will have the second most miles traveled this season of all Big 12 teams. Not a shocker. We're in the West. Everyone else is far away. Yep. Behind only UCF, who's in the very far southeast. BYU's trip to West Virginia has more miles in it than Kansas State and TCU will travel all season combined. Okay? How big of a that's disadvantage a, is this for BYU? That's an unbelievable stat. I, I do think it could take a toll on you over a season. I don't know if it like loses you a game or two or what, but they're BYU's probably a little more tired than some of the other teams just from sheer travel. Yes, it's a disadvantage. I don't know how to quantify it. But. It's a disadvantage specific to the West Virginia game because if this is like a noon kickoff Eastern time on a Saturday afternoon in Morgantown, BYU's not fared well in those games. I don't like those. So I'm hoping yeah, I, I it's a later game. I think the week is probably a trap game based off that. A up. trap game? <laughs> maybe, maybe the Morgantown, oh, yeah, the Iowa State game? Because they're so tired. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our question of the day, what's your favorite BYU win ever over Utah? Our elite voice of the day the presented Big by TV PAX Country. Healthcare Elevated. Nice. Bobby Daly on Twitter says, Beck to Harleen. Amen. Not only because of the emotions of the game, but my little brother had pretended to be a Ute fan for two years to bother me. <laughs> After that game, he repented, and we could celebrate together. Repent. <laughs> Today's Rise and Shout Out presented by Mountain America, the official credit union of BYU Athletics. Men's cross country and track and field for being the program of the year in the NCAA and men's awesome. So fantastic. Our thanks to today's guests, Brian Logan and Keegan Brown. Sorry to Dennis. We ran out of time, bro, but we had time for Brian. For Jerem, I'm Spencer. Shout out to Robbie Reed. See you tomorrow on BYU Sports Station. Go Cougs! Wait, was Robbie the one that transferred to Michigan? Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Follow BYU Sports Nation on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Welcome back to Studio B. I am Spencer. He is Jerem. Let's roll out today's headlines. Men's track and field wins the USTF CCCCA John McDonald Program of the Year, edging out Arkansas to win an Arkansas coach named award by half a point. <laughs> Joey took third in cross country, 12th in indoor, and 10th in the outdoor track results this season. Congratulations. That's a big deal. This is unbelievable. Okay, you do all of this before you're even in the Big 12, by the way. Like, yes! How much is BYU's program going to get now that you've got a little Power 5 backing, perhaps a little more funding for that as well? Yeah, that's really, really good. Well done, Ed Stone, Bill G. Taylor and company. I know this is the men's specific, but the whole program the is whole awesome. The whole program's awesome. It's awesome. Yep. Also awesome, Alicia May Mateo continues a magical golf career. Baller. She has qualified for the United States Women's Open. She'll tee it up July 6th through the 9th at Pebble Beach, joining a field of 150 players, including 72 of the top 75 players in the world. Where are the other three? Unbel I don't know. Maybe injured. <laughs> but come on, this, this is a major. She qualified for a major. Last season, she teed in all 13 events for BYU, received the third lowest scoring average in program history, 11 top 25 finishes. Cannot wait to follow her at the United States Women's Open of Golf. 
Austin Deming continues to rake in awards, this time named to the ABCA Second Team All-West Region. He's one of 27 players on the team and the only rep from the Beehive State. And I think he just hit another home. Is Deming going to get drafted? Is BYU Baseball going to have a guy drafted? I hope so. They have trimmed it to what, 20 rounds? Yeah, 25 it's rounds, much shorter. Right? Yeah. Good luck. Daniel Schneeman got drafted in the 33rd round and he has worked his way <clears throat> into AAA ball. Two for four in his latest game with a double and an RBI last night for the Columbus Clippers against the Omaha Storm Chasers. Schneeman is having a fantastic season. We hope that he at some point gets the call up. Did you like the movie Twister? I did. I did too. I thought it was entertaining, right? The Storm Dorothy. Chasers? Yeah. 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 <laughs> the Great. cow flying across the We road. got cows! <laughs> uh, Carrie Elwes. Guy who's been on BYU TV in Granite Flats was the that's, villain. Was the villain that's right. in, in Twister? Right. It's the sheriff. I <laughs> he's, he's the guy that's competing with the other group of storm chasers and Bill Paxton. Copperton right? hasn't been the same since Granite Flats <laughs> went off the air. <laughs> I live ten minutes away from Copperton. Uh, our question of the day: What is your favorite BYU win over Utah ever? Every there are a ton to choose from. Every sport. Marcus Swiner on Instagram says, Hall to Kali, November 4, 24, 2007. Yes. I remember that catch and that last drive like it was yesterday. One time Max Hall told us that the play came in on fourth down from Robert and I, but he got, he got uh, jumbled in the moment. And Robert and I was so, flustered. So Max called uh, just like four verticals, but he told Austin at the line, give me a stop and go. And that was the difference in that play. And it kept that drive alive. That's a miraculous An NFL cornerback bit on the fake from Austin Colley. The day before as well, BYU beat Louisville, who's ranked sixth in the country, in Vegas in men's basketball. That changed sort of the broadcast schedule for us. If BYU had lost, BYU TV would have stayed and done a game against Old Dominion. Instead, BYU played North Carolina. ESPN picked up that game. So what did we do at 6 a.m. the next morning? You drove. We drove back, and my streak of seeing every game from 1995 between BYU and Utah minus my mission uh, continued. Uh, which is fun. The only time that streak ended was when I produced Countdown to Kickoff <laughs> here, working here, ended the streak of going to the game. But it was, uh, it was a fun run. I think it went until 2012. Yeah, I was going to say, how long How long did yeah. it go? Minus my mission, 95-2012. Well, frankly, you missed, it was just losses. So did you really miss out on much? Yeah, I didn't miss it. I was like, yeah, I don't think we're going to win this one. So. All right. Nolan Mickelson on Facebook says, 1989. Underrated. 70 points. I was a freshman at BYU, and Ty Detmer and the guys put 70 points on the Utes. Yep. The cheerleaders were doing push-ups after every touchdown and must have been worn out after the game. It was 49 to nothing. Yeah. I think, I think BYU had 49 points at halftime. At halftime. Just ridiculous numbers for a sophomore Ty Detmer. There you go. All right, up next... We feature some state-of-the-art technology that's helping BYU basketball go to the next level. You want to talk about analysis? Yeah, stay with us for the NOAA system. This is BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Collected ball, intercepted by the Cougars, it's a takeaway, and F breaking tackles it in, BYU touchdown, catch made inside the 10-yard line, middle to Mitchell, driven back, didn't get it! 
Welcome back to BYU Sports Station. We are live in Studio B with your day-to-day BYU Sports play-by-play. I'm Spencer Linton alongside Jerem Jordan. Joining us now is a guy who knows a thing or two about a big win over the arch rival Utah. Yes, which Brian, takes Brian. us to our question of the day. Brian, let's start right it's actually there. The Riley. That's the Riley chant. <laughs> Riley, Riley. <laughs> Brian, what's your favorite BYU win over Utah all time? 2009. Has to be. You played in, in it. In your biased opinion. Yeah. That um, was a good one, though. It was a great one. You know, um, we talk about ending the game on the last play, right? And that's what happened in 2009. Um, going into overtime, that was my first experience ever in the rivalry. Um, everybody was, was talking about um, just their experience before, like, you know, trying to prepare me. And I was like, well, whatever, you know. I just came, came to BYU and was involved in the program, you know, maybe four or five months, you know, prior. So to me, it wasn't a big deal. All I knew was I just couldn't wear red. And I remember driving on the bus to the stadium and I look over, we, we we're at, at a stop sign. I look over to the left and just, you know, Utah fans tailgating. And, you know, somebody gave me a, a hand gesture. They said you were the number one guy? Yeah, yep, yep. <laughs> and that's when, for some, I don't know what it was, like, it just took over my spirit. I was like, oh, I'm in this. This, this is real. Like, I'm, I'm ready to go. I got mad and pissed off like everybody else did. Full and- disclosure, <laughs> we do this to you before every game day as well, just to get you going. <laughs> just to get you going. That's right, that's right. We do not do that. <laughs> Spencer doesn't do don't that. Don't speak to David Nixon and Blaine and David. Fair. That's fair. So yeah, so, I do not do oh, that. <laughs> oh nine was and, and then um, you know when when I was I was stuck on the field because you know the crowd rushed and um, I always remember a fan that that you know grabbed my hand and picked me up and and crowd surfed me all the way to, to the locker room because I was I was stuck um, and so that that entire experience man um, being lifted you know at the at the other twenty all the way to the end zone. You went and that far? I went that far. And, and, and I, I, in the middle what? of it, I left my helmet. So I was like, oh, wait, my helmet. <laughs> take me back. Take me back. And they're like, no, we'll get it. Equipment staff will grab it. So, so I'm sitting there waiting for a little bit, right? And they're like going, like pushing me up and down. And there's pictures of this, right? There's not videos, but there's pictures. While I'm waiting for my helmet, my, I see my helmet count. <laughs> I grab my helmet. And I go in the locker room and, and celebrate. So that whole experience, man, was... Um, was was amazing. There's video. It's just an SD from the mountain. Yeah, you, yeah. you're right. Yeah, no 4K. Yeah, we can't really <laughs> decipher who what was going on. You can there. see some random, you know, dot. It's out very there. pixelated. It's hard. Being slowly it's like moved a across the field. You know, you know it's it me because I'm, yeah. I'm this big. So yeah, you know. it's <laughs> you were a cleat. We couldn't tell. Okay, uh, we the the best win bracket today is uh, is a good one because we've got 2001 versus Utah, which. Was, was special as well. And then 21. Yeah. The recency bias may win the day, which is fine. That, that should play into it too. That 21 game was so special. Like the Big 12 invite the day before, ending the streak. Mm-hmm. And it sort of just ushered in like, we're not playing you for the next two years too right. kind of deal. Yeah. That win is one of the best in BYU history, which is why it's seated in this bracket. Um, what do you remember from that day and that, that night of, of beating Utah and ending the streak? It was, it was surreal, you know. Um, I hate to make it sound like that, like it was like a this a big deal. I mean, obviously it was, but man, it was almost like we've we've arrived. It was almost like hey, we've we've had so long of just trying to get over this hump, right? Um, and and trying to compete with somebody that's 
at a at a at a power five level and so and, and, and i mean that's a good program right? i like As, that phrasing that you use we've arrived because right. there's multiple levels to that mm -hmm. based on we've arrived we've been validated as a, a power five team right. we've been invited we've accepted and then yeah. you take on the power team in the pac-12 at the moment exactly. right absolutely and um you know, a good way to, 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 to measure yourself is against a quality opponent in, in good competition. And I don't like them at all. They're a good program. Now, I'm not going to sit here and lie. We all know that they're a good program. We got to give them props. So, you know, to, to, to beat a, a good program like that um, and, and a program that you don't like as well, right, and, and for so long, I was on the last team that beat Utah. So you ended the streak and then you started the streak that's, in that's 2010. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. So, you know, it... It was bittersweet for me personally um, and just being a little selfish. Whenever I was out in the community and people would, you know, talk mess like, oh, you guys haven't beat Utah in X amount of years. I'm like, I was, I was on the last team that beat Utah. And then everybody would stop. So and now I can't say that anymore. That's the so. 72 Dolphins of BYU. Football. I played on the team that last beat Utah. And then, Would you like to continue this like, conversation? I didn't, I didn't yes. lose in 2016 or whatever. Yeah, that's fine. Exactly. Brian, I, I might be crazy, you know. And yes. I, when I was talking about the trap game scenario, yeah. I, I just don't know if BYU, because they're new to the Power Five, that they, I certainly can't get there where I'm like, I can overlook a Power Five opponent. BYU's going to play 10 Power Fives. I, how do you overlook a, a conference Power Five opponent? Right. Um, Jerem's logic is sound in that like, big games were like Because they might be 2-7 and seven at the time, the opponent might be. But for me, no. the, the trap game on the schedule – is the first game that BYU plays because they're supposed to win and supposed to win handily, but there are so many moving parts, 20 new pieces out of the transfer portal. You have a brand-new defensive coaching staff. How does it all gel together? BYU, again, as a 24-point favorite, they're, they're supposed to just come in here and handle Sam Houston. Sam Houston's a team that was the FCS national champion in 2020. They got nothing to lose, Brian. Mm. But maybe I'm crazy. Am I crazy to pinpoint the first game against a team you should dominate as a trap game? Um, you know, when I when I got this this question this morning, I chuckled. I was like, <laughs> "There's no, I don't see a trap game at all." Um, you know, there's no trap games on the schedule. Nope, that's why I chuckled. Because <laughs> 2009 Brian thinks I, there's no trap game. I I, I think <laughs> you know it's funny. not a single one. You know, it's funny in 2009. I thought the trap game was Florida State. And it ended up being Florida State. <laughs> to the tune of a 26-point loss. Yeah, well, you know. We were I thought we didn't talk about we Florida going, State. We, you know. Um, you didn't want to I've forgiven myself. Oh, for, we're, we're <laughs> talking now? Yeah, yeah, we can talk about it now. Gotcha. I, I okay, forgave, okay. I, I forgave myself like three weeks ago, so. Um, that yeah, recently. We're, we're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's a little new for me. That's but, good. Um, That's good. But, um, you know, I, I, think, I think just the, the, the scenario of BYU going into the Big 12 Man, it's it's like every game is is, is big. It's a Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the, that's the feeling. That's the vibe I get. Um, maybe if it was year three, year that's four. That's what I'm saying. I, I feel like it's gonna take a few years. Yeah, yeah. But again, I don't disagree entirely with Jerem. Like Texas and Oklahoma are huge names, and you face Texas Tech and Iowa State before those two respective opponents. So perhaps that could factor in at what, some point middle of the season. What if BYU six and three going into the Iowa State game in Game Ten, and Iowa State is two and nine, uh, trap seven? Trap game. Then it becomes then, a trap yeah, game. Yeah. Then it may feel like, oh, we should win this game, yeah. and Oklahoma's next week. Yeah, situ so what, situational. Yeah. Right now, everyone's even. Like, who knows? What if BYU's only favored stink. in four games right now, and two of them are the first two, right? 
Yes, yeah. and BYU will benefit from being the underdog and become a trap game for opponents this year quite a bit, I think. Yeah, I yeah, think sure. certain opponents will overlook BYU should they struggle at times. Sure. Yeah. I think BYU jumps out quick this year, goes 4-1 and or 3-2 and in the first five, and then the back six are going to be a challenge. Give us some insight into what you think this is going to be like for BYU to play 10 Power Fives in a row. And that in that like fifth and sixth game, when we're like late October, early November, and BYU's beat up, yeah. How do they stay in it to get enough wins to make a bowl game? Stay healthy. I mean, it's, it's, how much it's, of that is luck? Five percent. <laughs> you can 10%. control whether you get injured or not. Ninety-five percent. You think it's that low of staying healthy? Like it's not not a ton of luck involved. I think I think understanding um, angles, understanding how to get hit and take hits, um, plays a, a huge factor into it. So maybe ten percent. Will BYU football be ranked in the top 25 at any point this season? Our elite response of the day presented by PAX Healthcare Elevated. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. And catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio.